Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Big win for labor in the state of Georgia. What unions did over the last several weeks. Win for game workers in New York. The tug of war continues with workers and Amazon. And today on the show, the painters in Wisconsin and UA Local 538 in Tennessee. Welcome to the Wednesday, December 7th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Jeff Mirhoff. Jeff is the business manager of the Painters and Allied Trades. This would be a District Council 7, which pretty much covers the entire state of Wisconsin and part of Upper Michigan. 2,400 members in Wisconsin and that area. I just mentioned over 180 signatory contractors. The members are employed by PPG Industries, Durse Incorporated, all of the major glazing, painting, decorating, drywall taping, and finishing contractors in the greater Milwaukee, Madison, Kenosha, Racine, and Fox Valley areas. In addition, Miller Brewing Company, the Pfizer Hotel, Milwaukee Hilton Hotel, the Milwaukee Public Museum, the city of Madison and Milwaukee, counties of Milwaukee and Dane, the state of Wisconsin, Racine Unified School District, Milwaukee Public Schools, and a number of other entities also employ the members of District Council 7. We'll run down all the specific unions during our uh, segment with Jeff. We'll talk about the uh, the recent midterm election results in Wisconsin primarily and how it affects unions. This is such an interesting state. That was a pretty progressive state up until around 2010 when Scott Walker became the governor and turned that state, attack unions, collective bargaining, and they became a right-to-work state. Now, things have changed, but it's still still a fight, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about recent organizing success. The uh, Painters and Allied Trades recently won an NLRB election representing screen painters. This was at a small business in Madison. The other issue, and, and this, is, uh, <laughs> this is pretty uh, specific to all the trades, worker shortages. I mean, it, it's happening all over in the construction industry. And you got to keep in mind, a lot of the workers in construction are uh, middle-aged, nearing retirement, and we just got to get new blood, really got to get new blood. There's an effort. Some unions are doing better than others, but we'll find out what's going on in the uh, the state of Wisconsin. And got to keep Michigan in there, the upper peninsula of Michigan. That's what they cover in District Council 7, IUPATDC7.com is their website. Randy Fry will be joining us later in the show. He's a business manager of uh, UA Local 538. They're based in Johnson City, Tennessee. UA members are offered industry standard certifications through 
Local 538 that are vital to employment as a skilled worker. And they cover so much. I'm just going to run down a few here. Welding certifications. They have over 100 of them. Um, EPA, safe handling of refrigerants. Certified welding inspector programs. They have uh, journeymen for master plumber, master gas fitter, medical gas installer, brazer, rigging, flagger. Let's see, HVAC techs, chiller mechanics, refrigeration techs, green technologies. I mean, there's a lot that they do. We'll talk about the, the HVAC techs, and apparently that's one sector that has grown dramatically over the last three years. In fact, Local uh, 538 started a new HVAC apprenticeship class. And that class, it's my understanding, it's been very successful. So Randy will give us some uh, specs on that. What about uh, non-union? And, you know, Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee certified right to work in their state constitution. This was a couple of weeks ago in the, the midterm election. So how's that affecting the unions? And apparently they have a new casino to be built. And they also have a army ammunition plant that has multiple projects going. And they're trying to secure work in those two locations. It's a fight. It's a fight, let's be honest. But uh, we never give up, do we? We ne- You can't give up. You got to keep in some when they push you down, you got to get up and keep moving forward. That's what it's all about. Randy will address that more as our second guest. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. $17 billion in assets under advisement, serving the needs of Taft Hartley Funds, corporations, public funds, endowments, corporations, and religious organizations. They got a, quite a history, been around since 1928. You can find more at Boyd watterson.com all eyes of the nation and a big chunk of the world were on georgia yesterday and the democrats got a win Raphael warnock garnered over 51 percent of the vote so what does that mean well the democrats will now control 51 seats to the gop's 49 Now, although the party won the Senate majority in November, that runoff victory will allow Democrats to dispense with the current power-sharing agreement with Republicans, which will give them greater leverage in the chamber next year. See, Kamala Harris was the tie vote. If they had a 50-50 tie, she cast the 51st vote. Well, that, that doesn't have to happen anymore. So that is pretty significant. But I have to talk about the role of organized labor. The labor movement showed up in full force over the weekend to campaign in that race. And I'm talking about right from the top, Liz Shuler, president of the AFL-CIO, Everett Kelly, national president of the American Federation of Government Employees, Lee Saunders, president of AFSCME, John Costa, international president of the Amalgamated Transit Union. Eric Dean, who's general president of the Ironworkers. Jimmy Williams, painters and allied trades. And Mary Kay Henry, international president of the Service Employees International Union, all took part in a rally in Atlanta to get out the vote for Senator Raphael Warnock. 
Union members hit the doors, campaigned their hearts out to secure every single vote. And it worked. So hats off to all the labor unions that made that happen. And we have to continue to make good things happen. Good things happening uh, in the gaming industry. Workers at Activision Blizzard, video game giant, have won a second union organizing campaign, this time in Albany, New York. The Game Workers Alliance, which is affiliated with the Communication Workers of America, previously organized a new union among quality assurance workers. That was in Wisconsin earlier this year. Well, on Friday of last week, the workers in Albany announced they, too, had voted unanimously to form a union. Got a comment here from uh, one of the organizers. It took an unbelievable amount of work and perseverance to move this forward. That organizer is Amanda Deep. She said, with this victory, we are advocating for ourselves and each other because we care deeply about our work and the games we make. Organizing has empowered all of us to fight hard for the dignity and respect that every worker deserves on the job. Even Chris Sheldon, who's president of the CWA, published a column in The Hill that supports Microsoft's bid to acquire Activision Blizzard. And he highlighted the fact that Microsoft put forward a neutrality agreement with the union that would give more video game workers the opportunity to organize. Can you imagine if more companies did that? Say, you know what, if you want to go union, we will remain neutral. So either you want it or you don't want it. We, we won't interfere. Wouldn't that be nice if all companies did that? You would see, I would, I would imagine, I'm speculating here, but I would imagine you'd see a 50% increase in, in union activity and members of unions in the country, if that were the case. Supermajority of workers at Noble Knights Games signed union authorization cards, and after several weeks of discussion with management, this company, which is a tabletop game company, agreed to voluntarily recognize the union. The employees at the Wisconsin-based company are now officially organized with the CWA. Another win for the CWA. The new members celebrated their win last week. Noble Knight Games has done what 95% of privately owned companies fail to do. They have voluntary voluntarily recognized their workers' union, and they credited their employer for respecting the will of its employees and agreeing to move forward in good faith. Now, with all that being said, you would wish some of that would kind of spill over to Amazon. Well, it's not the case. There is a tug of war going on with the workers at Amazon and the corporation. Just to give you an example here, on November 30th, the National Labor Relations Board filed a motion. This was in the Eastern District of New York, asking the court to clarify an order against Amazon. A couple of weeks before that, on November 18th, the judge, the district judge, Diane Gujarati, issued what they call a Section 10J injunction against Amazon, requiring the company to cease and desist from retaliating against employees for union organizing. That decision also directed Amazon to post, distribute, 
and read the cease and desist order to employees at JFK 8. That's the Staten Island facility that voted to unionize earlier this year. That margin was 55% for the union. Now, according to the NLRB's recent motion, Amazon, quote, made a mockery of the order by planning to show workers a video regarding the order during shift change. However, the order's language required Amazon to post the order where Amazon customarily posts notices to its employees and read the order at a meeting held during working hours and scheduled to ensure the widest possible employee attendance. They wanted to get the message out. Hey, this is what's going on. You, you, you are guilty of a violation, a labor law violation. Well, on December 1st, last week, an Amazon spokesperson told Axios, the publication Axios, that the employer read the order out loud during a meeting. However, emails from Amazon lawyers state the company is not inclined to reconsider where it will be posting notices. So once again, this battle highlights Section 10J of the National Labor Relations Act, which is a tool the NLRB relies upon to prevent employers from interfering with organizing campaigns. It's almost like they don't care. They don't care what the judge says. They'll do what they want. They'll get fined again, pay the fine, and continue doing what they want. But the workers are still persisting on that one. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're checking in with the Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 7 in the state of Wisconsin. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. 
Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get that word union in there. By the way, this next segment brought to you by the United Labor Agency, always connecting people with employment, good employment, I might add, ulagency.org is their website. Let's go to uh, Madison, Wisconsin right now and check in with Jeff Meerhoff, no stranger to the show. He's been on a couple of times. He's the business manager for the Painters, IUPATDC7, that's District Council 7, and they, uh, we should do a shout-out here before we uh, join Jeff, uh, let's see, we've got uh, four locals in uh, Milwaukee. There would be a local uh, 579 with the paint makers. Sign and display, that's a local uh, 770. 781, painters and drywall finishers. Let's see, 1204 glazers. These are all in Milwaukee. Racine, yes, that's uh, local 108, painters and drywall finishers. In Madison, that's uh, local 802, painters and drywall finishers. Kenosha, painters and drywall finishers. That would be local 934. Also in, uh, let's see, Madison, we got the Glaciers at 941. And then let's not forget, there's a little section of Michigan. That would be uh, 1011, Upper Peninsula. And uh, that area covers uh, 15 counties, so quite a spread there for uh, district council. So I, I think I got them all. Jeff Meerhoff, I, I hope I didn't miss any there. Did, did no, I get them you all? Got correct? Them all. I got them all. Yeah, yeah. You got them all. <laughs> that was great. That's great. Okay. And, and so, yeah, and how, you've been a business manager for how long now? Um, I was first elected in 2016, um, okay. and I was reelected in 2020 during, during, oh, the, during the pandemic. Oh, that was a fun time for you, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That was an interesting. Uh, that was an interesting uh, time, uh, to be sure. <laughs> now, now, how are we faring in all that? I, and how, in your assessment, I mean, we're still technically in the pandemic, but uh, you know, construction remained pretty vibrant. Um, some workers got sick. I mean, District Council Seven. Yeah. What's what's your assessment from the time that you um, took over and where we are today? I think. You know, during the pandemic, obviously it was new for everybody. Nobody, you know, we hadn't really experienced anything like that. Um, and I think it, you know, it took it took all of us, you know, time to adjust and figure out how how we work through this. You know, in Wisconsin, um, we were fortunate. We were working with our building trades councils and uh, in the governor's office that we were able to make sure our all of our guys uh, were uh, all of our members, I should say, were able to keep working and we were able to do it safely. Um, it was, you know, that wasn't the case with all the building trades across the country. I know some on the East Coast had they just shut down. Um, they didn't work for several months. I think the big, the big, the big thing that we didn't um, anticipate was, I guess, you know, with our our show floor sign and display workers, who you know their work is dependent on setting up, you know, um, conventions. Um, you know that that completely shut down for almost two years. They're they're back now, and I think they're back as you know as strong as they were 
before the pandemic, but it was it was kind of eye opening, and we had to you know we had to make sure we were taking care of those those members. And that was important. But you know we're back. You know looking back, is there things that we could have all done differently? Sure, but you know nobody knew, and I think that was just the biggest thing that we had to try to work through is the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I know you want to talk about is the the worker shortages, and we're seeing that in in all parts of the country. And in construction, I wonder if you could kind of zero in on District Council 7 and tell us uh, how we're faring right now. Because, uh, you know, people got sick, decided to change jobs. Some people got out of the trades. Some people got into the trades. What's your answer to that? Sure. I think um, kind of a catch-22, right? You know, I think the pandemic probably – made it easier for, you know, some of our members, they were kind of looking at retiring anyway. So they made that, they took that opportunity and they, and, and they retired. Um, and obviously it wasn't, we couldn't re- do our usual recruitment efforts you know, during the pandemic. So we're kind of caught right now in the middle of, okay, we, we, you know, some, we just don't have enough people in, you know, in, to um, demand the projects that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it's going to get better, but I think all the trades, you know, we're seeing it across Wisconsin right now. I think you know, there is a concern. Uh, we're all competing in that same pool of workers. Um, so, I mean, it's, organizing is critical, you know, to that, uh, getting out, just talking to workers. I mean, it, it's going to take some time to that, you know, that gap to, to get filled. I think we'll get there. Um, it, but it, it, it is a struggle right now. You know, it, it's good that we have a lot of work and work is projected to be very, you know, very strong this year and the next. Um, but we know we're going to see shortages and we're trying to figure out, you know, things that we can do, get more workers in, um, you know, we, maybe we get some travelers from across the country and we, we know we're going to need workers here in DC seven. Um, and it, again, it's, it's a timing thing. Um, but again, I think we're all facing that. Um, so I think we just got to look at different, different ways to try to recruit and, and more than that, retain, um, new members, you know, looking at, yeah. Uh, communities that maybe we didn't look at before, whatever, um, you know, we, we've all got things that we wish we could do better, go back, go back and look at it. We, we should have done this. So I think that's one of the things we need to be examining. I know one thing the the trades have done, and this comes right from the top from, from NAB to National Association of Building Trades, and that is to reach out to uh, underserved communities, reach out more Absolutely. to women. And uh, yeah, people of color and all that. And also, yeah. too, the, the, there's a couple of components here. I came across an interesting story recently. The the UP, they call it the UP Construction Council. Oh, and sure. I'm familiar with that. Yeah, they, they launched their first ever building trade summer camp. This was for uh, high school students. And this was yes, uh, apparently over the summer. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's yeah. start right there, if you don't mind. Uh, how successful was that for you? I think it was fantastic. You know, for the UP, you know, it's a it's a pretty good sized area, um, but you know, there's not a lot of people, right? <laughs> so, but it's a very very close communities up there, and the idea came actually was one of my staff members, um, Travis. He, he lives up lives up in Escanaba. And they were he was at a building trades meeting. They were talking about different ways to reach out to high school students, and they came up with this. You know, this I guess it's not really a summer camp because they treated it as a really a full-time job and they they had an application process they brought in um i think it was overall about 24 students um and I, i'm familiar with it pretty pretty um closely because they chose our training center up in gladstone uh, michigan to have uh, where they were going to hold the hold the training 
So I think they're going to, you know, when they keep doing this in the next few years, they're going to rotate it to different training centers in the UP. But we were the first ones to have it there. And all the trades got together. Um, again, they had a they had a, an application process they went through. They vetted all these students. They had to qualify. Uh, it was treated just like a job. They were um, they actually, at the end that they completed, they received a stipend for their work. Basically, it was just like a, it was like a mini apprenticeship. And I think it was a fantastic. Um, I think all the students, um, I think they received a lot out of it. And most of, I think most, if not all of them that are graduating, that just graduated are already going into the trades as, uh, as apprentices. So overall, I, I, you know, these types of programs we have to be doing, you know, there's a commitment, um, but I, you know, we had to make that commitment. We don't have another choice. So mm-hmm. I think it was overall, it was just a fantastic program. Uh, Governor Whitmer, um, came uh, came up to the UP at the end of the summer and uh, acknowledged those students. And it was really, it was really, really neat to see. Yeah. What really caught my attention. Well, a couple of things. First of all, the students were ages 14 through 17. And I thought that's yep. great, especially getting them young like that at 14. Absolutely. But it was a yep. paid internship. As you mentioned, they got a stipend here. Yep. I, I don't know what yeah, kind of did. money they got, but, but I mean, that doesn't happen too often, a, a paid type of no. internship, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, again, they were treated as like real apprentices. You know, they had to show up at a certain time, you know, and if they, um, you know, if they, you know, they were late, didn't call or whatever, you know, that was kind of, that was marked down. And they have, if you have too many, um, you know, marks against you, there was a couple of them that actually didn't make the, finish the program. So there was real consequences. So they had to treat it just like a real job. It was fantastic. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at this guy that that's running this operation, Mike Smith. He's the executive yep. director for the UP Construction Council. If you'd be so kind, maybe at the end of this interview, give me his contact information. We'll put him on the oh, show because sure. I think that would be a great segment here on America's Workforce. Yeah, we got to do this in various parts of the country. Absolutely. And, uh, target these these kids here i mean wow that's a great idea so yeah, how are we faring here you mentioned about retention and all that and i'm hearing that you sure. know we've we've been doing a lot on the uh, trades women build nations conference yep. we had various uh, people that went to that and one of the big issues especially for females is okay they get in the trades they like it they're making decent money but they've got issues like uh, sure. you know child care uh, what if they Absolutely. get pregnant? You know, and I know the iron workers have a pretty good program for maternity leave and all that, and some unions are picking up on that. But uh, with the painters and allied trades, how are we faring in that regard right now, Jeff? Um, I think we're doing well. I think we're ahead of the curve, uh, you know, not uh, some of the other building trades. Um, I think the painters overall organization, I think the, our, the numbers of uh, women that we're attracting into our trades is higher than a lot of other trades. Uh, especially our painters and, and more than anything, our drywall finishers. We're seeing a lot of ladies coming in. They want to be drywall finishers, which is great because we never have enough finishers. Um, I was at the Trade Women Gold Nation Conference in Las Vegas at the end of October. And the uh, second one I, uh, I attended, um, and the energy that you see coming out of this conference is just amazing. Uh, I, we had several of our uh, rank and file ladies that uh, we sent there. Um, you know, among over 3,000 people that went to this thing. And you don't see that kind of, um, I guess, energy in any other building type thing that we do. So I, I, you can't say enough about it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. As far as what we're doing to address child care and um, maternity leave, um, the Painters International, we put on a maternity leave program about two years ago. Um, so it, um, 
in DC seven, we have the programs running uh, across our council. It's been set up for um, about a year and a half now. So we have had uh, a couple of our members that have taken advantage of it. Uh, and you hit it on the head. Child care is probably the number one thing that we probably, we're just not paying enough attention to. Again, coming out of the pandemic, there are less places for um, members. Um, there's just less places to go for child care. And child care is obviously, it's, it's an expensive um, thing, but you don't have a choice. You don't have it if you can have two working parents. And it, it gets goes across the board. It's not just for women. You know, the guys have, it's the same issue. It affects families. And I think we have to do a better job. We're working on it in the last year or so within DC7 of trying to come up with ideas, um, maybe the short-term things to offer childcare um, options to our members. But overall, I, it's a conversation we need to have um, with our employers as well because uh, we, can't, we can't do it by ourselves. They have to right. be involved. Jeff Meerhoff joining us on our live line today. He is a business manager of the Painters and Allied Trades, IUPAT District Council 7, IUPATDC7.com is our website. We'll continue. I want to talk about the elections, and we're talking about the general elections and an NLRB election, which your union recently won. We'll get into that. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Randy Fry. Randy, business manager of UA Local 538 in Johnson City, Tennessee. Back in a few moments. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just do this. 
sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always like those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Madison, Wisconsin right now. Rejoin Jeff Meerhoff. Jeff is the business manager of the Painters and Allied Trades District Council 7. Okay, let's talk about organizing success and also the midterm elections, how that's going to affect uh, unions in Wisconsin. But uh, let's let's get into this uh, NLRB election Apparently, this dealt with uh, screen printers at a small business in Madison. What's a, maybe you could fill us in on the details. What happened here? Well, we got um, we were contacted. We work with a group called Worker Justice Wisconsin. Um, it's a nonprofit here in Madison. I've been affiliated with them for a long time, um, and they contacted us because the workers came to them. They typically work with um, a lot of low wage workers, um, um, you know, Hispanics coming in and a lot of times they have they're having issues getting you know with pay and stuff and um they referred uh, this particular group over to us and we've been working in uh, in kind of partnership with worker justice to help these guys they work at a company called crushing and apparel and they're screen printers you know they, they screen print on t-shirts um they're also embroidering stuff um, you know shirts whatever and um they uh came to worker justice first and then us uh, they needed help. Their employer uh, was basically just not paying them um, for like a month and a half, almost two months. They weren't getting paid. Um, he was threatening them. And I think the biggest thing that they were upset about was over this, this past summer, it was hot. They weren't providing any type of, um, you know, I guess fans even in, in their shop area. They, they were getting overheated and some of them were, you know, starting to get sick. And all they were asking for was basically not, I don't even want to think it was air, air conditioning. They just wanted some fans so they could cool off and, you know, and having, having water, getting breaks, stuff like that. And it, they weren't getting it. I mean, this um, particular employer, I uh, was really exploiting these guys and uh, threatened them all kinds of different threats, whether it was uh, deportation, you know, just anything that you can think of that, you know, it's hard to imagine it still happens today. But it happens, and these guys were were really just. Um, it was a, it was heartbreaking to hear some of the stories that they were they were sharing with us over this, what their employer was doing to them. So we stepped in, we uh, we talked to them, and we um, they were just trying to get in a you know a sit down with their employer just to address some of these issues. And he basically just told them they were all you know they didn't stop it; they were all fired. So, you know, there's obviously things that we can do. We work working with worker justice. Uh, we filed some unfair labor practice charges. You know, it got the employer's attention, um, but he's not a real bright guy. I'll be honest. This guy has no business being in business because he just doesn't know anything. And mm-hmm. um, it got to the point where they weren't, we really weren't getting anywhere with this guy. So the workers decided uh, they wanted to be represented uh, with, uh, w- with us. So we took him to a union election. Uh, we won that. Um, first part of October, I guess. And um, now we're trying to sit down and negotiate with this company. You know, he's basically said, well, because we won, they won the election uh, that they're going to be represented. He's closing the doors. He's going to sell everything. Everybody, they're not going to have jobs anymore. So, you know, you just don't get to walk away from that. So we're working through the process right now. As a matter of fact, we just filed a, another ULP uh, yesterday because they don't want to, they want to sit down and even try to sit down and edge talk about dates to sit down and talk about negotiations. So he's going to, you know, he's, they're going to fight it all the way, but you know, it, it's just kind of, it, it, it's, it's satisfying when you can really do something and really help workers like this. It doesn't have, you know, it's happening across the country. 
you'll see it, you know, you see it in a lot of um, these other industries, especially the service industries with coffee, um, the coffee make um, uh, like Starbucks workers, that stuff. So there's something in the air right now that, it, that people want to be helped. They want to be represented. And I think we just got to recognize this is going on and we, we got to be a part of it. Yeah, Starbucks has closed a number of stores where they try to unionize, yep. and uh, it's sad. It's which is which is illegal. It's absolutely yeah. illegal to do something it like is. that. It is, but they don't care. They don't care. All right, let's no, they uh, have, let's they do not care at all. Let's focus on uh, what happened a couple of weeks ago. And before we do that, I have to sure. salute your general president, Jimmy Williams Jr., because he sure. was part of the big labor push in the state of Georgia over the last couple yeah. of weeks. In fact, this past weekend, I mean, they had everybody, including Liz Schuler and uh, yep. various heads of unions. Jimmy was part of that that group, and yep. it obviously worked in Georgia. Raphael sure. Warnock will continue as U.S. Senator. Yep. We'll have uh, 51 Democrats there. So uh, that just That's shows great. the power of labor. So, okay, let's let's hone in on Wisconsin. Wisconsin has been an interesting uh, state over the last uh, I'd say what a dozen years and when Scott Walker took over the reins in uh, 2010 how how are we faring right now what what happened a couple well, of weeks ago and how's how are you well, going to be affected I, I think you know it, it it's kind of maybe going to stay status quo I'm hoping that you know the Republican legislature will want to work with Governor Evers a little bit more um, I, you know, I think that they were thinking everybody was hearing this huge and it's going to be a red wave, all this. Well, it didn't materialize. And, uh, you know, Governor Evers, I think the margin of his victory was a lot, you know, it was bigger than a lot of us uh, maybe anticipated. We thought it might be a little bit closer. But what it's going to, you know, he's he's still going to be governor next four years. And I think that's what people were looking for. He has he's, he's steady leadership. Um, he's a no-nonsense no kind of guy. Um, he's a really nice guy, which maybe people are tired of all the, you know, the partisan bickering, and maybe that's, that, that helps. Um, you know, in our legislature, you know, one of the things that they were trying to do was get a super majorities in both houses in our legislature. That didn't happen, so the governor retains his veto power. So, again, it, it, hopefully we won't have status quo and just basically dead, dead, deadlock for the next four years. Hopefully they'll be able to work together to get some stuff done. But overall, you know, I think we were – we were um, came out really well with these, you know, with the with the midterms in Wisconsin. That's pretty good considering. Didn't your uh, Supreme Court there in the state of Wisconsin rule in favor of the conservatives when it comes to the gerrymandered districts? Didn't that happen there? Yes. Yeah, they did. Um, you know, and that's not a settled um, issue. I don't think. You know, we have a, a really important Supreme Court race coming up in the spring, where I think you're going to be some of those. Um, you know those lines hopefully those lines uh being we we looked at again um but yeah i think you, you know we can't maybe not everything that we wanted you know we had a a, a big senate racer we didn't come out on that but you know overall we can't um i think it was better than what we expected Good, 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 good to hear. Okay, just about a minute or two left here, Jeff. We're speaking with Jeff Mir Mirhoff, who is the business manager of the Painters and Allied Trades District Council 7. Almost at the end of 2022, looking at next year, infrastructure. How are we faring? What's what's the work look like going into 2023? Um, yeah, we're we're going to be very busy. You know, with our uh, with our glazers right now, we already know that we're going to we're going to we need glazers in Wisconsin. We don't have enough, so we've been trying to put a plan together that we can, you know, if we have to, we'll bring, you know, work, uh, 
work with some other district council travelers in to help us. Uh, but you know, they're all in the same boat. And again, so it's it's a it's a pro- it's a good problem, I guess, but it's still a problem we have to address. And we have work that we have to get it. Um, we have to man. So it's it's that's an issue. And I, by the way, thank you for recognizing General President Jenny. He's a great guy. We had a we had a couple of our staff people down in Georgia helping with that race. Thank you for that. Not a problem. Yeah, we've had him on the show a number of times. And, and his dad, too. He's following his dad's yeah. footsteps. Yeah, he was a great guy as well. Okay, sure. Mr. Meerhoff, you take care. Busy guy, Jeff Meerhoff, business manager, Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 7, covers the state of uh, Wisconsin and the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay in touch in the new year. Okay, brother? Thank you, sir. Appreciate you having me on. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Randy Fry, business manager of UA Local 538 in Johnson City, Tennessee, coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union there. And also... If you like a show, please share that show. We count all of our downloads, our sponsors like that. We're trying to grow the show, and the show is growing. We're closing in on the top 10% of all podcasts in America, and we've only been podcasting for about two and a half years right now, so we are happy to report that. Let's go to Johnson City, Tennessee right now. Joining us on our live line is Randy Fry. Randy is a business manager of UA Local 538, local538.org. Just shy of 400 members. Randy Fry, welcome to uh, 
to the show. How is uh, how's local 538 doing? That number, 390 to be specific, up, down, constant. What's the story right now? Right now, we're, it's holding its own for the last, I would say, year and a half, two years. Uh, 2015, we had right around 215 or 230 members. So we've, we've uh, went on a organizing drive and, and, you know, bringing in new members, bringing in new apprentices and, and got that number up to 390. Well, I tell you, it's it's a fight, especially in, in Tennessee, because a couple of weeks ago, the voters enshrined right to work in the state constitution. Now, Tennessee has been a right to work state for a long time. Nobody was changing that. I, I Randy, <laughs> try to answer this question. Why did they go in that direction if nobody was trying to change that? What, what's the story there in uh, in Tennessee? What do you know about that? Well, all we know is it was driven by a group of you know uh, politicians that's in the pockets of uh, corporations, and uh, I guess they were scared. You know, they seen it in some other states where you know, right to work was being overturned and flipped, and uh, they were scared to see that happen in Tennessee. And uh, so they, they, you know, it was we were fighting it here, you know, as unions and and we, in the area of East Tennessee and all over Tennessee, the pop trades, you know, put a lot of money into advertising and trying to get the word out about what the right to work really is. But the, uh, the politicians were even on it harder. And our, our governor was out, you know, campaigning for it. And even the ex-governor came out of the woodwork to help him. It's just, you know, it shows you who benefits from it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tough being in a union in that state. I remember when the uh, UAW tried to organize the Volkswagen plant there. That was in Chattanooga, and that was, uh, I believe it was in 2014. And uh, VW wanted the union, and the governor said, no. <laughs> no, we don't want it here. That's, and it yeah, was, that's the ex-governor that came out of woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> they never give up. They never give up. Okay, let, let's talk about uh, growing the union here. And I understand your uh, HVAC techs are doing pretty pretty well right now, especially over the last uh, couple of years. Um, what do you attribute that to? What's going on there? Well, the main contribution is uh, a union contractor out of Louisville, Kentucky, came down and uh, just really got serious about you know getting in this area and helping us grow. And um, he was, you know, in 2018 or 19, he had one guy working for him, and, and today he has nine techs and eight vans going around. And that's you see that continuing then? Yes, yes. He he's got a full time. I think about a year ago he put a full salesman on, or maybe not a complete year from now, but he put a salesman down in the area. And then as soon as he put the salesman, he actually hired a guy that was in this area working for a competitor, a non-union competitor, and he hired him, and that really really helped his you know gain because they didn't really care what's on who's on the side of the van or you know whatever they like, they like the techs that's working in this area and been doing the work for them for years. They, you know, in a lot of the companies, a lot of the people don't care if it's union, non-union. If it's, the price is around the same for the uh, contractors. They, they want the good work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They want skilled labor. That's what it's all about. Well, that being said, <clears throat> yeah. it's my understanding that you had to start a new uh, HVAC apprenticeship class. Can you speak to that? Yes, we did. In 2015, when I was appointed as a training coordinator, 
one of the goals that me and the UA sat down and came up with was, you know, we had, we were a combination local for years, but we had kind of ignored the uh, plumbing and the HVAC side of it. And uh, we came up with a plan to, to start those programs. And, you know, at first we can't offer these apprentices jobs in our trade at that time. So we just asked them to keep the jobs they had at the time and just come and start going to school. And then, you know, when we, when we could offer them, employment we would help them out and right now we have um out of that group of apprentices that came through at that first class of hvac we have one that's already topped out and we have five active apprentices working you know with our contractors now in the area so we went from Good. zero to six or seven apprentices within two or three years working actually in the field for our contractors good to hear how are we doing reaching out to uh the community to the schools various uh, parts of uh, the Johnson City area is that uh, is that an ongoing process it is an ongoing process and we we found different ways to do that and we actually uh, around this time of the year it's a, a great time of the year to to give the people that need it kids and families and whatever and we were actually able to donate uh, four thousand dollars to uh, four different uh, police departments in the area Unicoi County Sutherland County Washington County and Johnson City and then Carter County and um, what that's a, the shop with cop program and we gave a thousand dollars to each of them and they go through the schools and vet these kids so they know which kids really need it and which families you know need it the most well are you are you uh, getting to those kids to get into the apprenticeship program because obviously there's there's some work going on in the Johnson City area is that happening too Yes, we we uh, I'm on, me and my training coordinator both are still on the board of the local uh, TCAT, which is Tennessee. You know, comply, um, I can't think of the acronyms at this time, but it's the it's the tech school of after high school. And then we go to a lot of the local high schools and have uh, when they have career day and college day, we go and set up and talk to the kids. And we are getting a, a good group. You know, we always we really don't have a problem finding the young guys and women that are interested in getting into this trade right out of high school or, you know, after they've went to welding school or whatever, you know, everybody wants to be a welder. But once they get with us, they sometimes they change their career plans and figure out that there's a lot more to what we do just besides welding. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the UA covers a lot. Yeah, just go to yeah. uh, United Association, the national website. You'll see all the different parts of the United Association. There, there's a lot of components there. Um, it's my understanding, Randy, we're speaking with Randy Fry, who's the business manager, local uh, 538 Johnson City, Tennessee, that um, there's a new casino. Casinos are popping up everywhere. And I guess there's a, a new one to be built in your area. And there's also an Army ammunition plant. So, you know, when with that being said, we're talking a lot of job opportunities. Where are we with all this? I'm sure you have them in your sights right now, right? Yes, the uh, Army Ammunition Plan is doing something over there all the time, and they have a a small core of local contractors that, you know, get work in there all the time, and we have some contractors bidding on work, you know, all the time in there. We did have a project there about a year, year and a half ago. It lasted a pretty good length of time, and, you know, I think we ended up having about 65 or 70 guys over there at that time, so it was a good job for us. And we do have contractors bidding on the casino. The mechanical part is not released bid yet but uh you know we can only hope and i've been in contact with the general contractor and he you know he acts like that 
is a real good chance that it could go, you know, to one of our contractors. So we're still open on that one. Okay. When, when are you going to find out about that? He tells me it's going to be uh, February or March before they assign the uh, mechanical part. The Okay. The drawings gotcha. are not even out for uh, release yet, he says. You know, there's another big project <laughs> going on in Tennessee, Kentucky and Tennessee, and we're talking about EV production, electric vehicle, either either cars, trucks, and batteries. Are, are you sharing in any of that, any members of, uh, of 538? Yes, we actually have members working in Louisville, Kentucky right now. Not at any one of those plants, but they're working on different power plants in Louisville area. And we have members working in Nashville at the GM plant. And I have a list of members waiting or wanting to go to the Blue Oval project near Memphis. Yeah, yeah, the Blue Oval one. That's that's the Ford one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, good stuff there. So the future looks pretty bright. So where do you see? I mean, you you're just shy of 400 members right now. Randy, you've been business manager for a couple of years. You uh, you know, we're we're wrapping up 2022, going into the new year. I'm sure you've got your sights on, on growing that, maybe getting some of those non-union contractors over to to 538. What's uh, what's your what's your goal here? Well, that's that, that's our goal every day, and our organizer he works with me, and we we have actually sat down with a non-union plumbing contractor in our area and a non-union heat and air contractor in our area in the last two or three weeks. And, you know, the meetings are always positive. They like the fact that we tell them we can give them manpower, qualified manpower, and that these guys, you know, are not going to hide behind, well, I'm union, I don't have to do nothing. You know, this is this no longer the union way. I mean, we, we want qualified and, and good workers that's going to show up to work there, be ready to work. And, and we expect that out of our members, and they should expect that out of their employees. And uh, so, we you know, we've been trying to – persuade them to understand that you know it's not that's not you know they have their whole old time theories of union you know the mafia or this <laughs> just whatever you want to call it i mean they they just, we we hear it all the time and uh you know what we try to stress with them is you know we're not that this is you know the ua is definitely not that and we're it's building trades we're here to provide a good job for our members and help them have good employees and the union's not successful unless their company's successful. If our members there are working in, at, in their area and working at home and being able to sleep in their own beds with their families, you know, it's a win-win situation. There you go. Don't focus on the past. Focus on the future. I like that. Randy Fry, <laughs> business manager, local 538 Johnson City, Tennessee, part of the United Association. You take care, my brother. Enjoy the holidays. Let's talk in the new year, okay? Thank you. All right, that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, I'm going to check in with the UAW and the Urban Institute. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.